cancer, real and raw. From Help Harry, Help Others. My name's Georgie Mosley and I'm the founder of Help Harry, Help Others Cancer Charity. Help Harry, Help Others is a charity that was built through lived experience of cancer and basically designed to tackle all the gaps where we felt firsthand as a family areas that needed addressing. We support adults um, and children affected by any type of cancer and not only do we support the cancer patient but we also support the relative the friends, the carers, the work colleagues, because everybody gets affected. So my name's Tracy and I'm one of the counsellors here at Help Harry Help Others and I've had the privilege of getting together with these four carers you'll hear from in a moment who are just sharing what it's like being on the outside of cancer Um, and, and that's kind of looking at they're living with cancer just as much as the the patient. It just looks a little bit different. So this group, they tell it like it is. It is very real. It's very raw. They will say their things. They're not being pushed in to say anything. This is just opening a, a conversation with them and they're sharing with you their real and lived experiences. I'm sitting here with four people who either are carers or have been a carer of someone with cancer. So we have a gentleman whose partner passed away and he has a little boy that he looks after. We have a mum with a little lad with cancer. Um, We have a wife whose husband has cancer and we have another wife whose husband passed away from cancer. So that's who we've got in the room at the moment and myself. Um, And we're just moving a bit more on to... What being on the outside of cancer is like. So you're not the person with cancer, but you are living with cancer just as much, just in a a different way. And I'm just wondering what that's like for you guys. You're, You're caring for that person and they're the one that's going through treatment and the consequences of treatment and all the side effects and watching their body fail. But, but you guys are right there with them and you can't really do much but but watch sometimes. And I'm just wondering what that's like for you. I've always said that I feel like I've got cancer apart from I don't have the medication, the chemo, the radiotherapy, the pain. But obviously with my my son, he was one when it all started. I had to put gloves on to change his nappy because of the chemo and all of that kind of stuff. I had to give him his medication. He's not an adult, he couldn't do it himself. He does now if he needs anything. He'll just get the syringe and he'll put it in his mouth himself. Wow. Most other five-year-olds wouldn't do that, but, you know, when he goes to the hospital now, he thinks he's going for a day out. He loves it at the hospital. But I feel like I'm suffering just as much as him. Because you're living with it too? Yeah. Although he's taking the medication and all of that, like, I'm the one that's giving it to him. He's just I just doing... don't have the pain or anything like that. I have a different kind of pain. Yeah. I don't have physical pain. What's I have your emotional pain? pain. And that's never going to go away, ever. Mm. Whereas his physical pain may go away. Yeah. Mine will never go away. Yeah, so hard as a parent watching your child go through that. And knowing that he has to go through it and you can't do anything about that. But because at the moment he's stable and he does just look and act, 
exactly how a cheeky five-year-old should look and act. <laughs> He's treated like a normal child by everyone else, which is right, he should be. He shouldn't be singled out because of what he's got. But for me, people then forget, it's my son, I know he's still got two tumours in his belly that are never going to go away. Yeah. And I also know that he's more than likely going to relapse again at some point. Mm. But people don't think of me then. Someone said it sounds selfish. You said mm-hmm. it sounds selfish, but... Because it sounds like we're just thinking of ourselves, mm-hmm. and no one's thinking of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they're better or it's it's not happening for them anymore, it doesn't leave us. <clears throat> you still stay living with yeah. Them. And no one thinks of like now. Nobody thinks of me now because he's running around fine like he should be. Mm-hmm. And everyone says to me, "Oh, you've just got to live your normal life. You've just got to carry on whilst he's okay." Okay, that's fine. Yeah. I understand that, but it's still in here. Yeah. And it's never going to go away. Yeah. I suppose maybe for other people who've not gone through this, they haven't got that depth of feeling no. that you 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 have that that uh, sort of develops when you're looking after someone with cancer. I think somehow your 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 emotional depth has to grow. And theirs hasn't, so they can't understand really how you're feeling because they haven't had to go through that. Mm. I think cancer, in a way, unless you, you, you've dealt with it or I mean, even reading about it, you, 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 I, I feel that the um, majority wouldn't understand actually how you feel. It wouldn't happen on So they, you know, you. it's it's mm. uh, it, it's difficult because they, they haven't got that depth of emotion that... We seem to have to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So for you, looking back, what was it like for you? It was devastating. When he first got diagnosed, it was unbelievable. And then that went on to the sense of feeling helplessness, that although he was getting the help and the care that he needed, there was nothing I could do. And being the type of person I am, I usually sort things out. This was unsolvable, mm. um, and it was just helplessness and just a complete devastation. Yeah, inside, it, it, you know, you try to make sure everything's ticking over, but you just go into autopilot, yeah. and you do, you do, you do get through it. But the consequences of how you left afterwards is just—it's like an emptiness. It's like you, although you're in a room full of people, you're on your own, mm. even though you know, and you're trying to be. Um, a wife, you're trying to be a nurse, you're trying to make a meet and they can't eat. Yeah. You, you, everything you do, nothing, nothing solves it. Yeah. And it's just a case of, of feeling really, really helpless mm. and not not being able to help your loved one get better because you know that the, the diagnosis is terminal was terminal as soon as he was diagnosed. Um, so it was just just absolutely devastating. Yeah. You mentioned helplessness a couple of times there. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's a common feeling for, yeah. for someone caring for someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's it for you? Yeah. Um, yes. At the same time, personally, I'm practically driven. So it was very much as the helplessness, but there's still all these things to do and to care. And that's where you hit the autopilot, and that's when you go go away and do things. I spent so much time 
focused on that. I don't think I had that helplessness feeling. It was just, have to do this, have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. And that's, I suppose, the way I coped with it. You kind of said yes when I said about the helplessness. Is is that something that's that's bad for you? my little boy, and I couldn't do anything to help him. I'm his mum, I'm supposed to make things better, and I couldn't do anything. I can't do anything. When When he relapsed just before Christmas... Mummy, why do we have to go in hospital? I don't want to stay in hospital. I know you don't, son. I really don't want to stay in hospital either. But I don't want to. Yeah. I can't say, OK, son, we won't go. Yeah. He's getting upset because he doesn't want to stay in hospital. And I can't stop that. Yeah. And then his friends are saying, why are you going to go to hospital? And he says, oh, I've just got an appointment. You know, the way that he talks to his friends. And I just it just breaks my heart every time. He says, oh, I'm just going to the hospital. I'm not in tomorrow. And he yeah. says it's a... Casually. Yeah, at five years old. Yeah. Just awful that for a five-year-old, going to hospital is normal. Yeah. He thinks he's going on a day trip. He loves going to the hospital when he's there, like, for the day. Yeah. Or an appointment. He doesn't like sleeping, but if he's going for the day... But they are good there with him, though. I mean, children's hospital is so different to an adult's hospital, you know. Yeah. They, They do treat them like they care so I wonder actually talking about the adults hospitals like you you three have had to deal with the adult hospitals and those appointments where it's about this person that sat next to you it's about your loved one and you're sitting there listening to it all what's that like Um, my husband would never ask questions he's just sat there and listened so it was me that used to um, go on with a load of questions, so I was fully conversant what was what was happening. Um, because he, he'd ha- even if he did ask a question, he wouldn't listen to the answer. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite a strong person, and I'm an organised person, or mm. trying to be. Mm. Um, but it just, you just, you just can't, you can't explain, you can't cope, but you have to cope. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, it's that's what keeps you going. It's like an adrenaline that kicks in that mm. you've got to do as much as you can to help that person that's with you while they're with you yeah. and make their time with their suffering as easy as you can for them. Yeah. Is there like a sense of responsibility on you guys? Very much so. Complete responsibility for someone's life. You're very much in the hands of the surgeon if, if an operation is needed and uh, and um, I, I was very lucky in that I had complete trust and faith in um, the surgeon that uh, did the life-saving operation from, for the one I care for I had complete faith but then after that it was a matter of just sitting by the bedside and hoping he'd pull through mm-hmm. Uh, literally, because the uh, majority of time he was uh, unconscious and uh, you, you, you just don't know which way it's going to go. So, And I suppose uh, the one you care for has been like that. It's somehow, even as they are uh, improving and, and home, it's somehow still with you. It's... Um, it's sort of... Um, it's like a scarring. It scars yes. you. It's on you, isn't it? Yeah. And somehow, you're still watching them and yeah. uh, are they breathing and are they okay? And it, it's it's almost as though um, 
you're responsible for their survival. You're willing them, you know, especially when they're so ill in hospital, you're willing them to 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 um, live. And and somehow, you know, it's um so it, it sort of stays with you and, and um it, it, it's uh, it, it's a big responsibility. I wonder if I could ask you, you, you kind of had two different responsibilities going on at the same time. So you've got Lisa, mm-hmm. who's very poorly, that you're trying to look after. But you've also got a young child that you're also trying to keep some normality going for. And I just wonder what that was like for you, having two people to care for. Difficult. Um, but prior to the cancer... Childcare and all the mundane things was very evenly split anyway, mm-hmm. if not me doing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So taking on that extra responsibility wasn't too much of a burden. Okay. And then, as everyone else has said, you know, when you just care for someone, you just have to do, you just have to get on with it. And other things fall by the wayside, you know, the things that you might enjoy doing for yourself and socialising, those sort of things, those those can be cut away. Mm. So you can get on and do those things. What was more difficult towards the end was the emotional support, additional emotional support I had to provide to Max. At the start, we decided very consciously to not make cancer a scary word, so we'd use it all the time, which... Other people always push your foot around this mm. this yeah. word and was like, no, let's take the mystique away, let's explain what it is. You know, it was very much his mum's going to be put, take medicine to make her poorly, but in her getting poorly, she will get better. We was very upfront and honest in that respect. Mm. And kids just get on with it. Mm. You know, they just accept what they've been told. Okay, that's the way the world is. That's fine. And because we normalised it so much, I think we did the right thing. Mm-hmm. What was difficult for Max is when Lisa was having to go in and out of hospital with infections, a couple of those were quite scary because the ambulance came in, his mum was taken away. So he didn't like that. He didn't like his mum going into hospital overnight. And there was a few times she was in for a, like a week or so. He didn't like that in the middle of Covid so it's quite difficult to go and see his mum although we did like the idea of sitting outside the hospital and eating McDonald's that's one of his memories <laughs> um, but you know it, it's kids normalise it, it's just yeah. the way things are, like you said about your son, he's going to hospital for a day, yeah. you know, he just tells his friends it's no big deal yeah. they're kind of alright with it but towards the end, when Lisa was at home and she was becoming very, very ill, that was a tough time for him. And, you know, when we had to tell him what was going to happen, that was obviously incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. Probably the worst thing I've ever had to do. Um, you're looking after the child that doesn't change you just do a little bit more and then as everyone else has said you you just have to do it yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. but it doesn't leave any time for yourself to be a person yeah Mm -hmm. and actually that's a great point to make that 
that time for you as people because you are still people and cancer takes that away from you. You, you take on this new identity. Mm-hmm. So I wonder for each of you, when I ask the question, who are you in the world of cancer? Where are you? How do you feel? What would be your answer? I'm a dad. That's it. You know, um, I'm a single parent. I'm a dad. Cancer has caused that, but that's what we are. I suppose that that's the answer of what, what I am there. Yeah. I'm just a mum being a mum. <laughs> I get no time for myself. Because of cancer, my son's missed out on staying at his nan's because when he was little and he should have been going to stay at nanny's for the weekend so mummy and daddy could go out and have some time alone. He was having medication, chemo. And he, I, I wouldn't have put that responsibility on my mum to give him that. Yeah. Not because I didn't trust her, but I'm his mum. He, he's sick and he needs his mum. Yeah. So now, five years old, he's never spent a day away from me. Wow. And he won't. Yeah. So I'm just a mum. Yeah. The only time he's away from me is when he goes to school. Mm-hmm. Don't get to go out and have a social life at night, I think. Yeah. If I want to go out, I have to do it in the day. So then he can go to my mum's for half of the day. But he will always say, but I'm not staying here. I'm coming home, aren't I, mum? Yes, I'm coming to get you after. He wants to be with you. He needs to make sure before he goes anywhere that he's coming back to me on the night. Yeah. How about you? Um, I don't know, really. When I came here for the first time, I knew I was a person, but I, I just felt like the one dealing with everything. I hadn't. I couldn't tell you. I, I knew I uh, did everything, sorted everything out, did medical things that needed to be done. So I, although I knew I was me, I couldn't put a label on myself, mm-hmm. basically. So uh, I, I was just a person who did everything. Right. And you? I'm the widow of a man who died of cancer um, in a quick time. From May to September, he was diagnosed in May and he died in September. Um, was caught up in a whirlwind. I coped with it, but I've been left lonely and um, hate the word cancer. Mm. Um, it doesn't scare me, I just hate the word and the, and the devastation that it brings to people, mm. uh, families, children, anybody. Yeah. Um, you know. It's just, just awful. Um, but I'll get there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of brought different things for, for each of you. There, there's some similarities in what you've shared, but there's also some, some real differences. Yeah. And, and I think actually that's quite reflective of, of cancer and people's experience of cancer, that whilst the, the common link is cancer itself, your way through it, can be quite different. It's a personal pathway, really, isn't it? Yeah. It might be different to others. I think one of the things that um, I have found is that when someone has cancer or is recovering from cancer and is 
is is not well and a lot of care is needed, you feel that obviously you have to do things, but also be as kind as you can and caring and whatever. So I I I did feel awful sometimes and sad if I erupted and shouted because I thought I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, you know, sometimes it, it just... It's like a, a pressure valve. Sometimes, like a kettle, you've got to let steam yeah. out. Yeah. I thankfully, always let steam out with control. I've never said anything that I feel would be really cutting because that's not the kind of person I am. But I've sometimes just had to shout, you know. And then, to begin with, when I used to do it, I used to say, oh, that's awful, fancy doing that. But then, um, sometimes when you're under a lot of pressure... And there's only you doing everything. You can't help it. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is for me anyway. And, uh, you know, maybe if people hear you doing it, they think, oh, you know, that's terrible. Uh, But I think, well, you know, if I have to shout to survive, I'll do it. Obviously not often, but just sometimes you have to let out uh, that steam. One yeah. of my granddaughters only remembers me shouting at yeah, my husband yeah, yeah. to eat. Because I tried, to, because of his, the cancer that he'd got, he couldn't keep anything down. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get into it, and I bought that man everything and mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. that I could that would go down. Um, and she only remembers me shouting yeah, at my yeah. dad. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was because I cared. Yes. It was because I wanted him to eat, I wanted mm-hmm. him to survive, I wanted him to get better even though you knew he wasn't, to keep him with me for as long as I could and care mm. for him. And that, him not eating, was a rejection of my care, even though he couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. But it's just the emotions that you get inside yes, you, yeah, yeah. and there's nowhere for them to go. No. And even though you don't mean it, you know, and you go back and say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And they, get, they understand. Mm-hmm. But others hearing it, you see, don't. No, no, no. I think, oh, this poor person. Yeah. You know, and the one who's looking after him is shouting, shouting and, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so just it, the frustration. Frustration. Not, not eating yeah, and yeah. Losing weight and losing his lovely hair and, mm-hmm. you know, watching that person in front of you mm-hmm. just, just disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gradually, his lovely hair. They said he wouldn't lose his hair and it, it just all fell out in clumps. I had to turn the mirrors round in the house so he couldn't see himself because he, he cried every time he saw mm. himself. It was just... And watching somebody go through that, who was a, a strong man, yeah. it was just, it's just mm. absolutely heartbreaking. But you've just got to be there for him and, mm-hmm. and do, do what you can, when you can, how you can, yeah. uh, no matter what. Yeah. I think the hospital was scared of me in the end because I would not take any rubbish. Me too. Uh, you know, it was like, oh, here she comes. <laughs> like, what's wrong now? Yeah, uh, I'm a bit, this, I'm a bit this, of a crazy mum this, this, <laughs> this is unacceptable. This is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort it, I'll say yeah. I will. The ogre. Yeah, the ogre yeah, coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much to all of you for sharing your experiences of being a carer of someone with cancer. Um incredibly brave of you and honest of you to come and share that stuff so that other people can understand what it's like um and i just appreciate very much what you've all shared and hope you know i'm sure 
what you've shared today will help somebody else kind of feel, oh, I'm not quite so on my own or I'm not going mad. This is what happens. This is normal. And maybe even helps other people around understand what it's like to be a carer and maybe to see see someone as in that carer, that person they know who's caring for someone isn't invisible, but they are someone who's living with cancer just as much. But if I could just jump in there, Tracy, please, may I say to anyone listening, if you need help, come to Help Harry. They'll be here for you, and they've helped me get through this. I'm not through it entirely yet, because um, because I'm still a carer. Uh, but uh, without Help Harry, I, I would have been completely and utterly exhausted. They've shown me how to deal with things, how to deal with stress, and uh, so sorry for jumping in there, Tracy. But no, get to help right. Harry, and they'll they'll help you. Thank you. Well, I would second that. You've been my rock. Yeah, you've been my rock. absolute rock. And I don't know what I would have done without you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if you're a carer and you've just been listening to that, you may recognise some of the things that these guys have been talking about. Perhaps you feel that sense of helplessness or that you've lost your identity as a person in your own right and you are just now the partner or the nurse, the carer. Perhaps you feel uh, like you've got cancer too, but it's not the physical form, it's the emotions and how it makes you feel living with somebody that you're caring with that perhaps you haven't got any choices, that you've just got to cope, you're just in that situation, you've got no other option. These things can be really hard and actually having someone to talk to and notice you is really important. And if I've got one top tip, it would be um, to practice self-care. And by that I mean carve out some time for you where you look after you because if you don't do that, you won't be able to do the other bits of support that you need. And that's really interesting, Tracy. You know, I suppose first-hand experience myself, you know, I was Harry's carer and everything that I've heard in this podcast from those experiencing it in the here and now is almost like their identity going, them losing themselves, not taking care of themselves, feeling so helpless and wanting to help their loved one, but completely forgetting who they are and just you know just carrying on almost like they become their PAs you know their assistants whether it's practical emotional financial they're organizing so much and that again is where help Harry come in you know if you're a carer that's affected by cancer here at the center you know anything that you need emotional financial or practical support with as the carer or for your loved one that's going through cancer, then we're here to help. Whilst we've, we've been talking about carers today, upcoming podcasts, you know, we'll, we will be looking to a, a other groups of people that are affected by cancer because we can help everybody involved. To get in touch, to reach out for support, please, that's what we are here for. Visit www.hhho.org.uk or by all means, give us a call on 0121 783 5407 and we'll invite you into the Cancer Centre to come and have a look round or we can organise support for you across Zoom if you are unable to get into us because we know how busy you must be looking after your loved one. 